0: Hello everyone and what's up? Welcome to the Encrypted podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto. I'm your host Ahmed Bilaghi and in today's episode we have Asim Janjua, who's a director of innovation and design at Consensus. For all of those design thinking enthusiasts, we have the perfect show for you. As Asim joins us on the show to look at how design intersects with blockchain and cryptocurrencies. We explore design and thinking principles, how it's applied to this nascent technology, how his experience at Google paved his design and methodology, and ultimately why design will lead this industry to mainstream adoption. But before we jump in, I'd really like to thank for those who have been supporting the show. And remember, you could support us in any way possible. You could subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on the social media and any other way you feel like supporting. We really enjoy the show and we hope you too as well. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Encrypted. My name is Ahmed Al-Balaghi and I'm coming to you from Area 2071 right here in Dubai. And with me is Faisal again, who's finally here.
1: (laughs) Hi guys, I hope you're doing well and hope you're as excited as I am for today's episode. Yeah, no, today is going to be very exciting
0: because we finally have... The Asim Janjua. How are you doing, sir? I'm very
2: well. Thank you for having
0: me. Could you quickly introduce yourself for those listeners who don't know you?
2: Sure. My name is Asim Janjua, and I'm the Director of Innovation and Design at Consensus in the Middle East, where I head up a lot of the design initiatives internally from human centered design, but also organization design and operations.
0: So, you've spent a lot of your career within the design field and spent a lot of it at Google. Before we we sort of jump to that experience, how did you get into the space?
2: Sure, so from the blockchain space, I think I was always a uh, fan and that started probably around 2013, 2014, from the perspective of a paradigm shift or technology shift that was happening. At the time I was still uh, working for Google and then more recently, how that happened with consensus was in 2016, I believe, 17, Joe was visiting Dubai to meet with some of the people at Dubai Future Foundation as part of the cohort number one, I believe. Mm-hmm. And during that meeting, for a mutual friend, me and Joe connected, and uh, he suggested joining the team in Dubai and really uh, doubling down on their efforts and opening up an actual office in the Middle East in Dubai.
0: Great stuff. And so, in your role at Consensus, you said director of innovation and, and, uh, and design. Um, could you explain what what that
2: basically means? Sure. So it's a broad spectrum of lateral thinking. Um, so within that, it's making sure that the organisation runs as agile as possible. So from a um, kind of human perspective, that makes sure that we're in service of the user. So the applications, the software we build is delightful from an internal sense, making sure that the team is thriving and set up for success. That includes everything from making sure our facilities and operations is smooth all the way through to making sure we work operationally with a kind of agile mindset, if you want, and that's broken down into sprints and and, and design sprints as well. Um, From a business perspective, making sure that, of course, that we uh, break even that we are looking at, kind of looking at the business from a visionary perspective, and then ensure that we're broadening our horizons across the GCC as well. And then from a technical lens, we're making sure that we develop the right resources and people internally at Consensus. That includes engineers as well, and making sure we attract that talent pool locally. Great.
1: Great. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think Awesome is our first designer on the podcast. Yes. We normally talk to very geeky people. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and Facebook's was very excited. Yeah, I was <laughs> being on that category as well. I mean, we talk to technology people, we talk to legal people, we talk to VCs, funds and all of that, but you're, you're kind of our first designer. So my first question would be, where does design intersect with blockchain? Sure, it's a, it's a
2: great question. And um, the short answer is everything's designed. So whether we're talking about software on the blockchain or so, uh, general software on our traditional databases, uh, design is everything and everything needs to be mm-hmm. designed. I think the, the, the challenge with blockchain um, from a design lens is the size of it and at which phase and stage we are with the blockchain. On one side, you have blockchain itself being in its infancy and therefore in itself being designed. You know, and that comes from being designed technically. Nice. Um, so looking at the infrastructure layers, making sure the efficiency the transfers are as efficient as, as possible on the blockchain, so that's constantly being updated and designed, whether it's a Bitcoin blockchain, whether it's a Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, so blockchain is in uh, constant transition and therefore being designed, which in itself is huge given how many nodes are currently running on each of those chains. Mm-hmm. So uh, therefore design as a problem-solving tool becomes really important um, because uh, design and design thinking ultimately takes very complex, large, big problems and breaks them down into smaller parts, you know? And then you kind of scale the, the, the product or service. So that's one lens, um, uh, which, is, which is a big, big lens um, yeah. to tackle. Um, and it's, let's not forget it's live. It's a living mm-hmm. organism mm-hmm. as well. So it's being designed while it's actually uh, transacting and and being of service as well. The other part of blockchain and design, the way I see it, is what we all perceive as as design and as the user experience or the UI design. And the reason why I think this is important is because uh, the complexity of some of the applications currently we have on uh, the blockchain Let's take, for example, financial applications, whereas a, blockchain, a cryptocurrency exchange or a crypto wallet, um, these are complex interactions. A lot of data visualization, therefore a lot of hierarchical challenges from a UX design perspective. Currently, I may say that a lot of the applications are very focused on people who know how to use these um, protocols and yeah. apps. What we need to do is get to the critical mass by eliminating any complex information and making it as comfortable, um, as pleasing and delightful as possible in terms of engagement. And that would really, really uh, kind of proliferate the usage of anything on the blockchain, not just a crypto wallet or Mm -hmm. a wallet as well.
1: So do you think... I mean, design is one of the ways to achieve mass adoption or mass
2: scale when it comes to such a technology? Absolutely, I think so. I think design is more important with the complexity of the technology on blockchain than any other technology that we've had. Given its vast networks, it becomes ever so more important. But also thinking of it from a human perspective design ultimately is a problem solver tool and you need a huge amount of uh, empathy. Um, So essentially putting yourself, taking yourself out of your own shoes, putting yourself in the shoes of the user. And that's where design becomes really important on the blockchain. I think uh, from a user experience perspective, the challenges in design are not any different um, from conventional design um, of user experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. However, we uh, do need to make sure that we're taking into consideration a lot of what the blockchain infrastructure updates. Mm-hmm. So, so from, a, from a blockchain infrastructure um, perspective, it becomes very important given what we just said about the constant updates mm-hmm. on, on the infrastructure um, of blockchains.
0: All right. And OK, so... You basically mentioned sort of from my because I don't know much about design, design thinking. So from what you've basically said, there are two types: there's the UX side, and then there's sort of the processes side. Um, which one do you think is more important to focus on, and currently for for the industry, so that there could be more uh, adoption? Because in, in the processes, you mentioned sort of the networks and how s- sort of complex they are, but at the same time, you have. Of course, all these different applications and dApps which are struggling a lot with actually getting users on board because of, of the nature of addresses and all these sorts of things. Which one do you think is more important to focus on?
2: Uh, process or the UX? Yeah. Let's frame that in a, in a slightly different way. So process for me is the more kind of architecture okay. of the system, um, if you want, and the function of the system. And the UX part is the form of the system, so the output, right? And this is purely from my perspective. I truly believe that you should always start from uh, uh, the the process. The process, so not the output? Not the output. Okay. I I think it's uh, sequential in that sense um, that we look at the process deeply, Mm -hmm. um, understand the process deeply, then start putting the layers on top of that from a UX perspective. Okay, and
0: from the, like, could you cite any examples that we're currently like that, that we currently have in, in the blockchain world well, that you see are you know really good use cases of good processes and sort of good outputs? Mm-hmm. Which ones do you think are have actually sort of excelled and have yeah. met your
2: expectations? Yeah, I guess mean? yeah, sure. So if I've used uh, mostly personally. Um, I'll give one example outside of, uh, consensus, yeah, sure. example yeah, yeah. of consensus. Yeah, sure. Example outside of consensus. I think. One of the ones that I've uh, generally been uh, very, very happy about using mm. from, from a UX perspective is Gemini. Has anyone used Gemini? Gemini at the exchange? Yeah. I've opened an account.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah. I've
1: not used it
2: heavily. Yeah. And I've, I've used Coinbase in the past and others um, that were a little bit too technical for me. Mm. Oh, Coinbase was terrible for you. I mean, I used it some, maybe okay. two, three years ago, um, when it was yeah. in its infancy. All right. um, and then uh, more recently, I started using uh, Gemini. And Gemini have done a fantastic uh, job on making it as delightful as, as possible. And this doesn't just necessarily apply to the design of the app in a sense, like the the colors they use, the interface, etc. But more about the way in which they laid out the information, the uh, the, the process part that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So everything from the the currencies they exchange, um, it's not a vast number of currencies. So you're not obliged to trade um, against a huge amount of currencies. And then every one of those currencies is broken down and simplified as well, where you have the cryptocurrency rate and the dollar rate as well to the Mm -hmm. dollar rate. Or you can change the currency too, right in the the app. So they've really thought about the granular levels of the UI and the UX as well. On top of that, they've offered really great, delightful experiences where you can, um, I think they call it crypto sphere, where you can just buy you can almost buy into a fund where you can put in, um, let's say, for example, a thousand US dollars and they will invest that money into multiple currencies.
1: So that that really sounds like they're not just tackling or they haven't just tackled the UI part or the interface part, user interface, but they've also looked at the experience of actually what would you want when you go into an exchange or maybe just looked at different options that makes the experience more Delightful, smoother, and so on. Right,
2: right. Coming back so, to that, uh, user uh, putting yourself in the user, the empathy part—they've really, really looked at user behavior, user journeys as well, um, and making it very simple as a first-time crypto buyer to use yeah. the application. And what about the other, the other examples that you? Yeah, sure. So I think, and I don't know enough about this, but from from my um, explorations and little usage that I've had with it. I believe uh, Grid Plus, um, a consensus uh, company, has done exceptional work both online and offline uh, user experience and design as well. So they had to build hardware to be able to sell electricity mm-hmm. um, between um, residents. Uh, does everyone know what a Grid Plus is? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I don't. Okay. <laughs> this, so I'll are they the ones who started in Singapore and uh, in US, US. In in the U.S.? the U.S. is one of the other project teams.
2: Uh, Brooklyn. So, Grid Plus basically enables residents to uh, exchange excess electricity from solar panels okay. rather than selling back to the grid. Mm. Um, so, De- it's concept yeah. yeah, decentralizing the purchase of electricity where, you, where two, in, uh, two individuals can decide on what price that electricity okay. is uh, bought. Okay. So to enable for that to happen, it wasn't just a a blockchain application or a smartphone application. They needed hardware as well. So this required a seamless experience between the online and the offline um, experience. And I think they've done a marvelous job. In making sure that both the complexity of, of uh, purchasing and selling electricity through cryptocurrencies yeah. was as seamless as possible, and then making sure that the hardware integrated um, well and the uh, and the experience with the hardware was just as good as the application as well.
0: All right, and so does that mean like a you know a forty year old lady could could use it, could sell the excess electricity that, that she has? Yes,
2: I mean, sure, absolutely. I'm, I don't know if they've tested on a 40-year-old, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I'm sure anyone should be able to use the app uh, okay. and, and transact on it. Yeah,
1: yeah. which brings me to the next question in line with what you were referring to. I mean, when design is brought up to the table, one of the biggest maybe challenges that are regularly faced with design is scaling it up and trying to actually reach the right size of the segment, which you kind of spun upon at the beginning when you said due to the size of this technology we're talking about, this is going to be a challenging uh, endeavor of bringing design and actually coming out with a with a good output that we could uh, rely on. So when it comes to scaling it up and trying to reach as much segments as we can, uh, not necessarily the 40 years old, but maybe Maybe the right segments, whether they're 40, 50, 60, 70, how how do you think the, the, the best approach to do that would be? I mean, does that mean that everyone has to think in the same methodology or process that we're referring to as design, or will that only come with time where people start to get fed up with some technologies and then others come and enhance
2: the experience? Yeah, that's a great question and a complex question. So we're going to have a whole podcast just on this one. (laughs) So it's complex in the sense that it's Mm multi-layered, multi-disciplinary, multi-stakeholder. Yeah, And then uh, very complex in the sense that it ultimately requires a mindset shift inside the organization or the team as well. And with that said, that takes time. And time is important, uh, combined with persistence, um, is what I find. When you're inside a team of people who think like you, behave like you, it may be smoother, but I would, I would, um, I would assume that innovation diversity. or creativity and diversity mm-hmm. happens a lot less, right? Yeah. Um, and having a diverse set of people is um, perhaps a little bit more challenging from a time and efficiency perspective, but ultimately brings about a better product uh, for the consumer. Now, with inside the organization, I think there's many, many things we can can try um, to bring that about. I think having a mix of top-down and bottom-up approach is vital. Top-down in the sense that having leadership bought in, to the importance and significance of design, but not design from a user experience sense or UI sense. Um, the process. The process, but also the ROI of design, the KPIs of design, right? And so yes. often design is, is seen as an afterthought um, to building the functionality. Um, but if we can get it involved in at the beginning of the conversation, based on numbers and data, um, then we're much more likely to get the eyes and ears of the executive team or the leadership Mm -hmm. team as well. Um, And I think that's really important. I think sometimes designers, including my young self, used to take shortcuts in the sense that you never really thought about design from a a data perspective or the increase in users increases ultimately um, the return on investment as well. And how do you calculate that? How do you uh, put a number to a sentiment of using an application? These are important uh, areas that we can focus a lot more on as well. The other thing I mentioned was time. Giving yourself enough time is really important, Um, particularly in the corporate world where we're uh, subject to deadlines, um, stakeholder requirements. It could be really challenging, but... To bring great design to fruition, I think you need um, significant or ample amount of time in the sense that initially you need to spend uh, quality time doing the research, doing the planning, right? Um, And inside the research and planning is where you get a a fundamental understanding of what the problem is and who you're resolving this problem for. Um, I think sometimes we end up just resolving the problem for ourselves. Or Or everyone, or or everyone, or the business, you know, and we forget about the critical master users outside. Um, So, through design sprints and design thinking, we can establish who uh, we're resolving uh, the problem for, and we can do that in in multiple ways. One of the ways is to make sure that we actually do real life user uh, interviews, right? And then from the user interviews, uh, establishing maybe a minimum of free uh, user journeys and user personas that we're mm-hmm. developing for. And those user journeys and user personas become your audience, right? You're yeah. accountable to them, mm-hmm. right? So ultimately, you will always ask yourself, does that persona see this as a problem? And does this solution fix that problem? So yeah. you would constantly check in. And that do persona. these personas have to
0: be, like, are they different for, for that sole sort of product? They are ultimately different, I see. Yes, yeah.
2: The personas will be uh, different based on your initial research um, on on the audience as well. And yes, you would probably want different uh, diversity of personas. The
1: important thing is that these personas, they, they need to represent a segment because you're not just solving for that one single person, correct? You're solving for an entire segment that is represented by that persona that has the same problems, that has the same needs. Correct? Correct. Yeah, that's the, that's a kind of, perhaps maybe that's a way to scale it up, you know, to gather as much personas, as different problems and needs and situations, and then trying to solve it one problem at a time. Sure. Uh, and I think
2: that's an important uh, way to look at it. I think design or design thinking or design sprints um, <laughs> are a, a way to take uh, big, big problems and breaking them down yeah. into smaller chunks. And you can do this by not just... From a user persona perspective, but also from a feature perspective. So, taking a feature of an application and then assigning user personas to that, right? Mm-hmm. So, we can, oh, yeah. get, uh, we can get much more granular as so well, take another feature and assign another set of users, uh, user personas to that as well, if they're different, you know? Yeah.
0: Okay. And how are you essentially using the, the things that you've learned at Google and doing all your design work and now bringing that into the blockchain world? How's
2: that going so far? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. Um, I think Google in itself was a fantastic experience for me. I graduated as a, as a pure designer. Human-centered design is what I studied.
0: Can you quickly explain what human-centered design sure. is? Just Because you mentioned it a few times, but just a, a clear-cut definition. Yeah,
2: so um, essentially designing for an audience and not yourself. Um, so making sure that we put the human at the forefront of everything we do. Um, in essence, or another way to look at it, that the user is king. User yeah. ultimately determines how su- successful your product or mm-hmm. service is. Which goes back to the personas we previously talked about. Yes. Okay, cool. yeah. Human-centered design uh, helps to make sure that our experience um, of interaction with mm-hmm. a product or service, and this isn't limited to applications, this is limited to the J you're sitting on, to make yes. sure it's ergonomic, make sure it's comfortable, um, and so forth. Okay. Yeah. So at, at Google, um, I was hired to be a designer, and really quickly, because at that time, in 2007, it was very much an engineering company mm-hmm. still. Yeah. Super, super uh, heavy on engineering. And some of the smartest engineers there as well. Eng- engineers ultimately Develop the product and then design the product as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And designers were far between, and it was like a handful of us who would just get assigned a project, usually after the fact, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and then we'll come in and we'll be seen as decorators, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that type of mentor. Even at Google, you know, that that fundamentally changed around 2009, but in the early days, even Google um, uh, struggled with putting design um, at the forefront of everything it does. And I saw this um, initially as, as a, um, a hindrance to the design process. But ultimately, what I found myself doing is becoming an engineer. Um, I taught myself uh, front-end programming, um, CSS, HTML, JavaScript, nothing too complex, um, as a way to really understand some of the challenges that engineers and developers go through as well. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but I was bridging the gap between design and engineering. Um, so I can speak to engineers when I needed to, and I can speak to designers when I needed to. Um, later on, that meant me and several others developing what we see today, or what is called today, as systems design thinking, so that you develop design with the same mentality as developers develop code. Yeah. In essence, is the code bug-free? Is it maintainable? Is it scalable? Is it future-proof? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that lens on design, um, some would argue that you're eliminating the creative process of design, the artistry of design. Yeah. Right? But at what cost? The cost at the time for Google was inconsistent user experiences, a suite of products that looked completely different because different teams were working on them, Mm -hmm. right? So later on, uh, this went on to become material design where you had um, a design language that was scalable and maintainable in the same way that we look at code as well, right? So it was a dynamic design language in that sense, yeah. A lot of that thinking went on to be used uh, across, I guess, my life generally in the sense, how do we find that acute balance, Between kind of critical thinking and creative thinking, right? -hmm. It's not one or the other. Often it was uh, us versus them, designers versus developers. Exactly.
1: Which is not, which is not something that we want at that Mm -hmm. point of time. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. ever.
2: You know, generally we just we just don't want that, right? Um, We know that uh, diversity is key in every aspect. And um, this diversity of thought as much as diversity of gender to make sure that we're building innovative uh, products as well. Yeah. So that experience helped me to help Consensus focus on being a design led organization. Um, on, on, the, on, on, on a high level, uh, that meant making sure we had a agile mindset, so making sure we break down things into sprints right from the beginning and uh, making sure that designers were part of the team right from the beginning. Right? Um, on an operational sense, starting an office in any country, uh, let alone this region, isn't a small thing. Right? So it's complex from, from legal challenges, compliance challenges, bank, bank accounts, um, getting an office space, having it fitted out, and everything that comes with that process, mm-hmm. I essentially applied a um, design thinking mindset to it as well. So broke down business operational needs into work streams um, or sprints if you want, and mobilized the team um, to focus on the office fit out, to focus on budgeting, PLs, um bank accounts and, and so forth. So what ultimately seemed like a really, really big task from an operations lens, several much smaller tasks that eventually um, came to be consensus.
0: Okay. Beautiful. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, I want to go back, I wanted to go back to one of the um, things that you said in the beginning, which was paradigm shift. So one of the questions I actually had for you was, why do you call, why would you see blockchain as a paradigm shift or in fact, it can also be seen as just another tech within the emerging tech stack that we're seeing, you know, the, the web 3.0 and sort of the convergence um, of, of all these technologies that are coming about. So blockchain would, is good, but it will be better with AI and IoT as opposed to, so the sum is greater than the part, right? So why do you call it a paradigm shift, essentially putting blockchain as, Sort of the, the number one emerging technology that is out there, but where, where in fact it really is just a, it's just another tech within the emerging tech stack, right? Within the, the, this web of, you know, AI, IoT and all, and AR, VR and all these technologies that we have, it seems that you're saying blockchain is sort of the paradigm shift, um, comp- compared to the other technologies. Or are you saying that from sort of a societal perspective? And not thinking about the tech at all. So what, how, what's your thinking around this?
2: Yeah, good question. So I'm a big advocate of the potential for blockchain um, to change the way essentially our society operates, right? So um, the paradigm shift that I, I speak about is a mindset shift and that comes from the many layers of trust that blockchain offers. Right and the self-sovereignty uh, of the data that we're talking about on the blockchain. And that paradigm shift needs to happen on a user level where the user needs to be in control of the information, it needs to be accountable and responsible for the information. If you look at data right now, we entrust in the Googles, the Amazons with that data, and they put many layers of securities in place. What we're now suggesting, or the potential blockchain, is that the power of that data is put into the use of the people right and that in itself is a paradigm shift you know not everyone is ready for that from a security sense from a privacy sense what does that mean yeah. uh, for them but um, do you think we can be ready for that yes eventually absolutely i mean look where web 1.1 1. 1, 1 uh, 2.0 has taken us so yes eventually i think we could be ready for that but again coming back to how that onboarding is done for the user experience, from the interactions um, on the blockchain uh, application layer. Um, so a paradigm shift from a mindset for sharing data and entrusting in people with that data. So I see a massive shift happening there and also generally as a society, the word decentralization. What does that in actual fact mean? Yeah. In in, in simple terms, it means moving the middleman,
1: Which we are completely not used to.
2: Correct. And that's why I completely agree with you that it's a complete paradigm
1: shift. And maybe um, compared to other technologies, I mean, I don't want to downgrade any other technology, but it seems like other technologies, like let's take, for example, AI, it will fundamentally enhance our efficiency. Predictability and all of that, but that does not change the fundamental business models that we operate on. Mm. Like we can still be fully automated, but fully centralized as well. Um, Google will m- might have like the best robot all, um, in the on the planet, but your data will still be only with Google. Mm. But with the with the technology of blockchain, the way I see it is that for the first time you have the ability. Technology now allows you to actually have full sovereignty on your data and then do whatever you want with it right. monetize it act on it share it not share it have full control on it even from our perspective we i don't think we are ready for that let alone governments and incumbents and organizations we've never put we were never put under that pressure of owning our entire data it's like the bank giving you all your bank account notes and telling you, you deal with it. Wonderful. That's a great example. So now you have all your data with you at hand. What do you want to do with it? What happens if you lose your private key in the sense of blockchain? Then you lose everything. That kind of thing, I don't think it's not ready even from the organization's level, even from a user's perspective. And this is why I completely agree with you that it is a mind shift.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Trusting yourself
2: with this data, interacting with this data, <laughs> exactly. You know? Trusting with this yeah. data, we are, we rely so much on on middle people. We know, we talk yeah. a lot about decentralization as a uh, anarchist movement to the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, uh, what we're suggesting is that we take over. You know, our our. Banking interactions, data interactions. No, not completely. There needs to be a a fine balance of all of this. Um, So that was one lens. That's paradigm shift from from, from a mindset shift. And what I like to call that is the kind of adaptive lens to a problem. Right, so the adaptive lens tends to be much more kind of lateral, much more focused on humanism and humanity, much more focused on um, establishments and institutions doing the right thing. Yep. So that's the adaptive lens. Then we have a technical lens. Okay. Right? And, and from, from a technical lens, the change isn't that vast. As you mentioned, this is an evolution of many, many technologies coming together. And blockchain, in my personal opinion, in itself, doesn't do much, just like an SQL database won't do much yeah. by itself,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that. Point. Yeah. yeah.
2: From a future perspective, blockchain has massive potential, and I think you kind of touched on this earlier, on. so I don't want to steal a funder. Uh, <laughs> no, but no. I absolutely agree <laughs> with you that blockchain is going to play a pivotal part in connecting the dots between big data mm-hmm. and AI. Yeah, right? And I say this because Big data is key. Data generally is key into building um, the next platforms, the yes. next applications and so forth. Right? Mm-hmm. Blockchain is really smart in terms of um, asymmetrical data transfer, security, privacy. It's a very, very well-structured database. Yes, it could be much more faster and we're working on the scalability aspect. Um, and then AI is the output, the actual applications yeah. that we interact with. Right. So those three together ultimately I believe will be the future of web three zero. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. All right, no, thank you so much for that. I mean, is there anything else you wanted?
1: I mean, I have lots of questions, but go on. <laughs> okay. I would like to understand that going back to consensus, how how does design play a role in whatever ecosystem Ethereum is trying to build? I mean when it I'm not just talking maybe internally when it comes to operations and being agile. But even when it goes out and how, the, how Ethereum interacts with customers and, and that kind of experience and so on, how regular do you look into that? What, what, what is the kind of your vision for Ethereum from a design lens, you know, from a
2: user Yeah, does Vitalik have like a design body with him? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Vitalik, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure they have. design people at the Ethereum Alliance. I think our connection um, inherently comes from Joe being a co-founder of Ethereum as well and a big advocate of the work that's being done there. So there's clearly a connection there um, on uh, building on the Ethereum network. I too genuinely believe that of all the kind of blockchain networks out there that Ethereum has the greatest potential for impact I also agree that it's not quite ready right now. It's yeah. going to require work, you know, on, a, on an infrastructure level. And we touched upon some of those um, aspects of what, what work needs to be done to that. I think from a designer, that's a good question. I don't think there's any right answer to this. But if we look, if we compare Ethereum network to the open source movement that happened, you know, the Linux movements and the PHP movements, I would love to see a lot more robust kind of uh, API SDK integration on Ethereum and documentation as well uh, to allow, you know, the future young developers and programmers to uh, build on that and create new applications, create new use cases on the Ethereum uh, network. Did that answer your question?
1: Yeah, uh, it's just that, yeah, I guess he, he, what, what I was looking for is what you mentioned. Uh, basically, at the end of the day, the, the the real KPI is adoption. Yeah. So that adoption could come from people who are developing sure. new applications for other people. And it could be from directly like the end users trying to tap in and being part of the network and so on. So yeah, I guess... Uh, I guess design will play a big role into this.
2: Yeah, and I think on an application layer, design will play a massive role. From a, from a developer layer, we absolutely need more developers mm. um, integrating with the Ethereum network so that they can be more user-facing applications. Okay,
0: cool. I'd like thank you so much, Asim, for coming on. Pleasure having you as always. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you with questions or anything, how could they get in contact? Be sure. My email address
2: is asimjandjuwa at gmail.com or you can reach out to Faisal Ahmed uh, for my contact details.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we really hope you enjoyed this. If you have, don't forget to subscribe to the show. I assume I saw you subscribe today, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and did you um, make him rate it as well? Uh, let's after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next step. And make sure you rate um, and review the podcast as well. We really like those reviews because it helps the podcast go up in the charts and also you could support us by sharing the podcast with your friends on your social network and yeah that would be very great so thank you so much for listening on and thank you thank you both thank you